Hi, good listeners to futureprimitive.org. I am here today on the phone with Brad Lancaster. Brad Lancaster is a dynamic teacher, consultant, and designer of regenerative systems. He is the author of the award-winning, best-selling books, Rainwater Harvesting for Drylands and Beyond. He also has an information-packed website, harvestingrainwater.com, and the Drops in the Bucket blog. He lives his talk on an oasis eighth of an acre in downtown Tucson, Arizona, by harvesting over a hundred thousand gallons of rainwater per year, where just twelve inches falls from the sky. So I was telling you, Brad, that uh, here in Santa Fe, we got a foot of snow last night. Do you have a solution for harvesting snow? Well, absolutely. I mean, snow is just a, a solid form of water, and we should be taking advantage of that just as much as we do rainfall. So if people are shoveling their driveways and uh, pathways, rather than shoveling that snow uh, into the street, um, it would be great to be shoveling that uh, to where they have vegetation. So when it does melt, uh, that water will perk into the soil. And uh, a lot of the same passive, easy strategies we can use to harvest rainwater also harvest snow. These are just called rain gardens. Typically in flatter sites, they're uh, depressed basins that are level-bottomed and they're mulch-vegetated. Um, and we can not only direct our rainfall, but also our um, accumulated shoveled snow to these same areas. This is um, good. And that way the soil holds the water and the plants are the living pumps that access and utilize the water. So we can then access the water in the form of fruit, if they're fruit trees, shade, wildlife habitat, windbreak, shelter, uh, building materials, and so on. And uh, one other thing I wanted to say about sure. harvesting snow is uh, a friend of mine, Chris, uh, Chris Miley, in uh, um, Edgewood, New Mexico, just outside of Albuquerque, mm-hmm. he um, creates what he calls snow berms. Um, they're basically, he creates uh, debris berms of accumulated um, mulch, branches, um, slash, mm-hmm. and he sets these out uh, perpendicular to the prevailing winds in the winter months. And they act much like uh, snow fences that you have along roadways. Um, which prevents drifts from forming on the roads and instead creates the drifts uh, on the sides of the roads where it's not a liability for traffic. So he's basically um, slowing the flow of the wind um, so that snow settles out and he creates these big drifts where he wants the water and snow to accumulate. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he plants to either side of these snow drifts. So there's a lot of ways we can harvest water. This is great. Well, Brad, I want to ask you, uh, how how was it that you first got interested in uh, harvesting water? Well, um, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, and uh, as I grew up, I just found the water situation steadily worsen, uh, along with many of the other natural resources. 
we lost the Santa Cruz River. Um, it used to flow year-round, no longer flows, uh, except just after a rain. Uh, we had abundant springs and artesian wells throughout the Tucson Basin. Neighborhoods were named after these, such as Sabino Springs and Flowing Wells, but they're all gone now. And our um, groundwater table has dropped well over 300 feet in the past 100 years. Mm -hmm. So um, I didn't want to be part of this problem. I want to be part of a solution if I could find it. Yeah. And uh, thankfully, around that time, I took a permaculture class and um, was introduced to the idea of rainwater harvesting. Um, but uh, what it made it up, and, and it was a great concept for me, and I started playing with it and experimenting. But it didn't really click until I visited a subsistence farmer in the driest region of Zimbabwe. Yes. And he, uh, Mr. Zephania Pirimaseko, he's what made it all click for me. Because he had turned a wasteland uh, of a farm uh, into an oasis. And uh, he did so by planting the rain. And he taught himself how to do it. He, uh, he just watched every time it rained where the water flowed, where it infiltrated and generated life. That was good. That's what he wanted to, he wanted to mimic that. And he also noticed where it too quickly ran away and caused erosion. That was not working. He didn't want to do that. So uh, he just started implementing really simple strategies that slowed down the flow of water, spread it out, and sunk it into the soil. So he, has a bare, he had a bare bedrock hillside above his land, and water would shoot off of that at such a force it would take small livestock with it. Uh -huh. That wasn't working. So he created these low uh, walls, just of, just of rock, no mortar, just rock, um, perpendicular to the slope. It slowed the flow down enough that he stopped losing chickens, and when he got to the bottom of the hill, he was able to use any other strategies, uh, like contour swales, rain garden infiltration basins, dams in the drainage ways to further slow spread and sink flow water. And he's done so to such an extent that whereas wells and the rest of the community continue to drop, his continue to go up. Mm -hmm. um, and he's never short for water, even in drought here. And the difference between him and his neighbors whose wells are dropping or going dry. Mm -hmm. Mr. Peary does everything he can to deposit more water into the water bank of his soil in a year than he will take out through yes. hand dug wells. And uh, I think that's a lesson for all of us because throughout the world, particularly the U.S., we are over consuming our groundwater. We're pumping it out at a rate that exceeds natural recharge. And Mr. Peary has reversed that. Um, primarily uh, by enhancing the rate at which water infiltrates naturally into his soil with these simple water harvesting works. You used uh, some beautiful words, planting rain. Can you elaborate on planting rain? Sure. Well, that whole concept um, was taught to me by Mr. Peary. Um, he, he said to me, as he was showing me all these water harvesting earthworks um, scattered throughout his land, starting at the top and working down to the bottom, he said to me, do you realize that this is not an ordinary plantation? Mm -hmm. He said, this is a water plantation. I am planting the rain. 
and planting the rain everywhere I can. Mm. And his whole reason for doing that is you can't grow anything of substance without the water. And uh, in fact, he gives away hundreds of fruit trees a year um, and, uh, and other vegetation, which he gives away for free to the community in the hopes that they will plant it and re-spongify their eroding watershed. And uh, I love that he was doing this mm-hmm. until I found out that sometimes upwards of 90% of the trees he gives away die. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, why such a poor success rate? And he said, oh, well, it's simple. People love to plant trees, mm-hmm. but almost nobody plants the water. Wow. And we have to plant the water. We have to plant the rain. The rain is the highest quality water source, free water source that comes to us free of charge. So we have to plant that rain before we plant the trees. And, uh, you know, he tries to show people and um, get them to follow suit. And he, he is having a lot of success. Um, you know, it's, it's a slow learning curve, but it, it's definitely catching on. So you've stayed in touch with him? Yes. Yeah. 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 And, I, uh, you know, occasionally I get letters from him. Uh, a couple years ago I got one where he was telling me how a number of representatives and farmers from a number of African countries had come to visit him in an, in an extreme drought. Mm-hmm. And so things were looking very dry, and they, they couldn't see it. They couldn't understand what was working, um, because these were new concepts to them. So Mr. Peary was fretting that they were not going to understand, um, and the trip was not going to be worthwhile. But then a storm cloud rolled in, dumped a good uh, amount of rain right onto the site just as they were about to leave, Mm -hmm. and then they saw it working. They saw all these earthworks collecting the water and infiltrating into the soil. that um, perhaps we would talk of the eight principles of successful water harvesting so we can make it practical for people uh, who want to contribute to the solution like you have. Sure. You want me to just go on down the road? So, uh, uh, begin with long and thoughtful observation. Yes. I just want to explain to the listeners that these these eight principles of successful water harvesting um, they're all they're meant to be used as a whole, not just pick your favorites and that's it. Because the the reason for all eight of the principles is they're they're um, like a little mantra or a little tune we can hum as we're trying to figure out how best to the rain for mm-hmm. most positive effect. And um, by using all of them, we end up with a more integrated system. 
into a rifle barrel-like pipe, that culvert, and it sped up the water and caused it to cause more erosion downstream. So we want to do the reverse thing. We want to slow, spread, and sink that flow of water um, so that it's, again, productive rather than destructive. Mm -hmm. And then the fifth principle is we always want to have an overflow, and we want to use that overflow as a resource. So whether you're putting in a rainwater harvesting tank or rainwater harvesting earthworks or a rain garden, there's always going to be a storm event that exceeds the capacity of your system. Mm. So plan for that. Make sure you have the overflow route already planned so it doesn't direct the overflow into your house or something else you don't want flooded. Instead, it directs it to another tank or maybe another earthwork. So that overflow water is used as a resource. the living and organic ground cover. This applies particularly to creating water earthworks or rain gardens. We never want to have water just going to bare dirt. We want it to go into a sponge, mulch, vegetation, so it doesn't pool and puddle on the surface. We want to infiltrate it so it's below the surface. That way, we never create a mosquito problem. Instead, we create a mosquito solution because mosquitoes need three days of standing water to go from egg to adult. Well, we don't give them that. We ensure that all water infiltrates within 12 hours or less. And if you've got a, a rainwater tank, you just make sure the tank is capped off and you have screens on the inlet and the outlet so mosquitoes can't get in. Um, and the other idea behind maximizing living and organic ground cover want to create that living sponge so that the harvested water is used to create more resources. Okay, it's, it's going to grow more vegetation, which can grow more food, wildlife habitat, and so on. The whole idea is we want to create a regenerative system that regenerates itself while creating still more energy potential. And we wanted to do it in a very passive way that basically works on its own. And then that leads us to the seventh principle, which is maximize beneficial relationships and efficiency by stacking functions. Or said a different way, to get the biggest bang for the buck. Yeah. So we want to make sure that all our water harvesting strategies do more than just hold water. For example, if you do a contour berm, which is uh, basically like a, a long linear hill uh, perpendicular to a slope that slows down runoff and allows it to infiltrate, we want these contour berms to double as high and dry raised pathways, not just water harvesting strategies. And we want to place our plantings and our earthworks so that they can passively cool our buildings, like doing them on the east or west side of our buildings so they shade us from the rising setting sun in the summer months. Uh, and select vegetation not only for shade but food production. Um, we get a much more dynamic system this way. And then the final principle is really the same as the first. It, it's just a loop, just a circle. And that last principle is continually reassess your system, the feedback loop. Or said a different way, it's just long and thoughtful observation again. So once you've done your work, see how it performs. Did you do it right? If so, do some more. Did you do it wrong? Did you make it too small and it blew out with the rain? Well, rebuild it, but make it bigger. 
get the overflow, maybe now is the time to put that overflow route in place and direct it to another earthwork. So whenever I'm doing a water harvesting system, mm -hmm. I just go through all these principles and I just make sure that they are all embodied in the design. And uh, every design is different um, because every site is unique. Uh, so the specific strategies and how we implement them always differs. But what always remains the same is that we embody all of the principles within the final design and its implementation. And as long as we do, success is, is almost sure. That's beautiful. Brad, what would be the difference between um, um, a dry climate and a very wet climate like the East Coast? Yep, uh, the plant palette. Um, the, the basic earthworks or landform that slow the water's flow and allow it to infiltrate, they work everywhere. The, the only thing that differs is the plants that you use and the locations of those specific species in relationship to the landform. So, um, back uh, in Santa Fe, um, you can plant pinion pine or um, the junipers, mm -hmm. uh, in some cases aspen, um, next to these earthworks, but uh, it'll be a whole different plant palette back east. Um, mm -hmm. You will be planting more water-tolerant uh, species. Um, and as to what you plant where in relationship to the earthwork, well, to figure that out, I tell everyone, go take a hike. Go hike in the <laughs> local areas of your intact ecosystem and okay. see what plant species naturally grow in the low spots, periodically inundated with water and sediment. Those are the species you want in the bottom of your earthworks. Mm -hmm. And what are the species that need better drainage and tend to grow on higher, better draining parts of the landscape? Well, that's what you plant beside your earthworks, but not in the bottom of them. And with fruit trees, I plant them beside the earthworks, close enough that the roots can access the harvested water, but the base of the fruit tree stays high and dry, so I never have crown rot. Mm -hmm. In Santa Fe, you would do that with your apricots. Yes. Um, so as you move back east, you'll find you'll probably be using more willows and whatnot in the bottoms of your basins um, because you've got more water. Yeah. Um, whereas Santa Fe, you can have willows if you've got a large area draining water to your earthwork. But if it's just a small area and there's not that much water, uh, probably you would not be doing a willow. You'd be doing plants that don't need as so, And on my website, um, yeah. under the plant list section, um, I list some rain garden uh, lists for different areas, links to others, and, and we're soon to, to add to that extensively. Um, including some Santa Fe-specific rain garden lists. Okay. Uh, and another thing people can do is just web search rain garden and their area, because many agricultural cooperative extensions uh, give uh, rain garden lists um, for areas all over the country. So it's all about relationship between the water and the plant palette, for instance, 
between the water and the mesquite tree or the the water and the oak tree. Yes. Yeah, and all all that we're doing is mimicking nature. And so I'm using nature as my teacher to figure out what is most appropriate to plant where. And so let's say you know, mesquite trees here in southern Arizona and southern New Mexico, mm-hmm. well, you find they're always doing best where there's more water, typically along drainages, arroyos. So I place those trees next to a building, ten feet, at least 10 feet away from the building, but next to the building within a water harvesting earthwork because they get the rainfall, but they're also getting the runoff from the roof, which then doubles the available rainfall for that tree. So I end up with a much more productive, more vibrant, larger tree, which can then more effectively shade and cool my house in the summer months Mm -hmm. if I put it on the east, west, or north side. And, uh, you know, we have to look at what are our water inputs, and if we direct roof runoff to our landscape, that's a wonderful input of very high-quality water. Mm-hmm. We can do the same thing with parking lots and streets. Let me ask you this, Brad Lancaster. How do you encourage urban people who are used to using hoses and uh, running water, how do you encourage them to uh, practice those principles? Yeah. Well, um, Uh, a few of the things they could do if they're on, say, a sloped site and they already have an existing landscape, they could create some simple uh, U-shaped berms on the downslope side of their planting. These berms act like open-armed hugs, which are looking up to the upslope side and the, the water that's running down towards them. Mm-hmm. So we literally are wanting to welcome that water with open arms, saying, who loves you, baby? <sighs> and uh, and so then when it rains, we're able to capture more of that water, infiltrate it into the soil. If we have bare soil, it's great to add some organic mulch, not only to build the soil and its fertility, but to quicken the rate of water infiltration. Um, if we have a flat site, and if there's an open area where there's not currently vegetation, you could create a sunken basin. When you dig that basin and you end up with all this dirt, where do you put that? Well, maybe put that on your pathways. So instead of your pathways being the low spots, they become the high spot. We don't want to collect water where our feet and our wheels are. Mm-hmm. Our feet wheels get muddy. Or in the winter, it gets icy and we can slip and fall. Yes. Instead, we want those areas well-drained and... We want to take the water from areas where it's a liability, such as our pathways, and direct it to where it's an asset, our landscape. Mm-hmm. So just simple things like that. And don't worry if the basin is not under the plant. Uh, if it's in the general proximity, the plant's roots will find it. Because the bulk of the water the plants uptake, these perennial plants, it's well beyond the drip edge of that plant's canopy, up to three times. Uh, the diameter of the canopy. Um, so those are just some simple things to begin. And uh, I also recommend people look at some examples. So um, on my website, 
www.thesearchbox.com. I, uh, people can plug into the search box demonstration sites, and that will link them to a page that lists by country, state, and city water harvesting demonstration sites. So they can go and see what these look like in their area, um, and then they have a better sense of how to mimic it. Uh, also, my books give lots of examples, and on the images page of my website, I have many different examples as well. Um, and uh, there's many great teachers and practitioners teaching water harvesting permaculture. Santa Fe in particular has a wonderful hotbed of great teachers. So people can take workshops too and get uh, training as they do it. So there's many options. So um, it's fun, it's loving to the earth, and it's economical because you don't have to pay a water bill or such a big water bill. Exactly. And not only you don't have to pay the water bill, but you can save a huge amount of money on fertilizer because rain is natural fertilizer. Oh. When we have the electrical storms, uh, there is um, chemical reaction and atmospheric nitrogen, which is not available to plants, is transformed into a form that is available to plants, and the raindrops bring it right to the plants. Um, and in addition to that, let's say in dry times when there's no rain, well, these same rainwater harvesting earthworks or rain gardens can be used to take household gray water, which would be the water from our sinks, bathtub, shower, and washing machine, uh, not the toilet. That's, that's black water. It's a different thing. But... Um, we can direct the gray water to our rain gardens in times of no rain. So in dry times, the rain gardens become gray water harvesting gardens, thereby saving even more water. And by saving more water, we save more money not only in our water bill, but also on our sewer bill. Because mm. they charge you for your sewer rates are based on how much water you consume. So if you consume less water, everything goes down. And again, a uh, big thing I push in my books and talks and the website is to do this in an integrated way. So the vegetation you end up growing with that harvested water then becomes a free living air conditioner in summer months and a free heater in the winter months. So you actually start saving money on your power bills as well. How, how is it an air conditioner and a heater?
So it's, again, just working with the whole, watching the natural systems and working with it. Um, and so the great thing is this all costs very little. And sometimes, oh, really, I say it costs nothing more than the price of a shovel. Mm. And you're just moving soil and putting things in the right place and figuring it out just by observing. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And as it starts working for you, savings are tremendous. And it just feels great. <laughs> and uh, it's not just great for you. It's great for the community because the fewer resources you consume, more resources are for the community and less pollution there is and all that. But also the amount of wildlife that has come to our site since we did this has been phenomenal. Um, we only had pigeons when we started doing the work here. Now most of the pigeons have left and been replaced with over two dozen native bird species. Wow. Um, because there's this amazing habitat that cleans the air for us and them and provides food for us and them and beauty. And it's just an incredible island of this Northern Desert ecosystem right here in the urban core of downtown Tucson. Oh, so because you're encouraging the right relationships, more relationships are coming to you. Yeah, yeah. It's that whole thing of, well, there's the movie, you know, Build It and They Will Come. Yes. Where a guy creates a baseball field in his cornfield and a bunch of dead baseball players appear. Right. Um, but we're not bringing dead baseball players to us. <laughs> we're instead of creating a baseball field, we are replanting the key species of the local ecosystem back in the urban core from which they were removed. Yeah. And we first plant the rain before we plant those plants. And as they're growing, they're regenerating the wildlife habitat that had been lost. And the wildlife is responding. Uh, it's incredible the amount of life right outside our door and window. Mm -hmm. And it's reconnected us with a sense of place rooted to our local ecosystem. So I now know the seasons. As soon as I step out my door, I see when things are blooming. I see the migration of the birds and the butterflies. And uh, I know what's happening. And um, we plant a lot of native species that produce food for us as well. Here we have the prickly pear cactus fruit and the saguaro cactus fruit, the mm -hmm. mesquite, that's mesquite pods. Um, and uh, so I know when I see it fruiting in my yard, I can harvest it. Mm -hmm. But I also know I can go out into you know, parts of the, the local desert and harvest still more. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, it's just, it's been wonderful. And we, we know a lot more of our neighbors now because they love walking up and down the pathway along our property because for them, it is the neighborhood's botanical garden because they see all this life and this abundance and, uh, they love it. <laughs> so it's reduced crime as well because we know more of our neighbors. Now we're, wow. we live in a neighborhood that is a community. Mm -hmm. know each other. We're not in a housing development of strangers beside, behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. This is and amazing. Best of all, many neighbors are starting to mimic what they're seeing, and it's growing. Um, many other neighbors are now starting to plant the rain on their site and plant vegetation. And we have uh, an annual neighborhood tree planting project that encourages this. Um, we have workshops showing neighbors how to plant and harvest rainwater.
and it's converting a neighborhood that used to drain all of its free natural resources, such as the rainwater, the stormwater, the gray water, the sunshine. And now more and more people are harvesting that, with the result that instead of things depleting over time, going down the path to scarcity, mm -hmm. resources are being enhanced. So we're starting to move down the path of abundance. And everybody feels better about themselves. Yeah. It's a much happier vibe in the neighborhood. Sure. Because we don't live in scarcity. Yes. We live in an abundance. Yes. And we know we are responsible for that. So you feel connected on purpose. This is beautiful, Brad. We, um, we're going to bring this conversation around and uh, want to ask you what is it you'd like to add for the people who are listening to this talk? Well, I just want everyone to know that you know, this is said so many times by so many people, but it's so true. You all have all the power you need to literally be and live the change you want in the world. And that's what I found here. Uh, you know, I've become this water harvesting expert, not because of years of study or mm -hmm. a privileged birth or anything like that. Right. It's just because I do it. That's it. And anybody can become an expert in anything they want. You just have to do it mm -hmm. to be genuine about it. Mm -hmm. And you don't just do it walk away. You can do it, watch it, learn from it, enhance it, change, fix what doesn't work. Learn from your mistakes as well as your successes. And so if anyone is jazzed by these ideas, well, go forth and learn more. And again, um, my books, Rainwater Harvesting for Drylands and Beyond, lay it all out for you. I'm packed with stories and they're a good read. Lots of illustrations, so it's, it's easy to follow. Go to my website, harvestingrainwater.com, and I've got links to all kinds of other great websites and stuff there. Um, take some workshops, and uh, but just and, and don't get intimidated. Just start small and simple. But more than anything, the key is just start. Okay. Okay. So, Brad, thank you so much for your time and giving uh, your expertise to the people who are listening. We will link to you and uh, you link to us. Fantastic. Okay. Oh, and I did want to mention yes. one other website. Yes, please. Which elaborates on uh, much of what I've been talking about as well, and that is desertharvesters.org. Okay. That's all about our neighborhood effort to plant trees and water harvesting earthworks to grow neighborhood food and celebration. Excellent. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Future Primitive is made possible by the Marion Institute. If you enjoyed these podcasts, 
please consider supporting our work by making your own tax-deductible contribution online at futureprimitive.org.